you do have to adapt and yeah. you have to be open to adapting. And that's when I see people not working out. It's when they refuse to adapt. People say culturally, they're not a fit. Hello and welcome to Taking the Lead, a podcast featuring conversations with the most accomplished, admired, and amazing female revenue leaders throughout B2B tech. Taking the Lead is hosted by Christina Brady, a sales leader, lifelong learner, and president of Sales Assembly. This show is brought to you by Sales Assembly, the industry's first and only scale-as-a-service platform that helps high-growth tech companies scale better, scale faster, and scale smarter. Visit salesassembly.com to learn more. And now, let's jump into the conversation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Taking the Lead. I'm Christina Brady. I am the Chief Strategy Officer of Sales Assembly, and our episode is brought to you by our incredible sponsors, Blueboard and Motion. Kicking it off with Blueboard, I think now is a better time than ever to be thinking about how we can adequately reward the people on our teams, whether you're working from home, working from the office, or a combination of both. The traditional spiffs really aren't hitting the mark anymore. You Maybe your people want to go to a team happy hour, or maybe they want to go skydiving or have a private golf lesson or get a great bottle of champagne. And that's where Blueboard can come in and help with their experiential sales incentive platform. So essentially, you want to treat your reps, your managers, anybody on your team like the top performers they are, Blueboard is the way to go. Once they earn a reward, they can go and pick their favorite experience or their favorite item. And then Blueboard is actually going to connect them with a dedicated concierge who's going to act as their trusted guide. If you want to learn more about how you can reward your people with Blueboard, visit them at podcast.blueboard.com. And finally, I could not produce this podcast without our incredible partnership with the awesome team at Motion. Motion is a podcasting service for scrappy marketing teams, mostly in B2B tech. They launch podcasts just like this one. They help create the audio, they do the editing, they do video and written content for each episode. If you are looking to put together an incredible show to get your voice out there, you can find them at motionagency.io. And with that, I am so excited to introduce all of you to my incredible guest today. We have Jenny Detman, who is the Vice President of Marketing at DZSI. Jenny, welcome to the show. Thank you, Christina. Happy to be here. I'm so excited to have you here. When I am kind of looking first just at your story, what originally made me so excited to talk to you is you have some really incredible experience and something that is very, very rare in a sense, especially in tech that you were at one place for so long. So we look at you working at KI for almost five years in the marketing realm, spent a little bit of time as a web marketing manager for Avacent, and then you spent almost 11 years at AdTran before moving to DCSI. So tell us a little bit about the journey and what got you where you are. Yeah, it's been a really fun and interesting path. I like to say I started off in my career in the late 90s and I was able to actually be part of the initial dot-com boom and bust. And so my real foundation is built around web and digital. And no matter how many times throughout my career I tried to get away, it always just brought me back in. So about halfway through, I decided that I'm just going to lean into it and really just embrace that and made it a part of what I did. So yes, starting at a ad agency in Atlanta to an interactive company in Green Bay, Wisconsin, to the contract furniture market, and then into technology. It's been a, an interesting path, but always in the marketing realm. 
except for my last few years at Adtran, where I was able to really get into some cross-functional roles and learn more about the organization from a business standpoint, from a sales standpoint. And I think all of that together just makes anyone a, a better marketer when you can have that visibility throughout the organization and really understand how people think and, and how to communicate with other parts of the organization, which is part of what we're going to talk about today. Yes, I love that. I also always love asking marketers, what attracted you to your current company? Because I think that you view the world a little bit differently because you're marketing minded and your entire job is to find a way to connect with people on a different level and stand out. And so what attracted you to DZSI? What about that company made you make the switch after so many years at one company? Yeah, it was one of those funny things where you said, you know, you're not looking for it. And it just kind of fell into my lap. And it was such a, an awesome opportunity to join a company who was really at a turnaround point. And what I realized is having been at dot coms in the 90s and then going into a more traditional conservative corporate environment, there was this kind of scrappy energy and really rapid growth. I mean, exponential growth year over year. And it was just an exciting time with really great leadership and lots of women in executive leadership, which I loved about it. A female CFO, a, a oh. woman who's a head of a VP sales. We just brought in a new female chief operations officer. So it's great to see yes. not only that type of company that was accepting of change and diversity, but also just an exciting energy. And so when I was considering all of this, I have some very great mentors and was able to go to them. And one of them said to me, Jenny, you have to make sure it's something that you're running towards, not something that you're running from. And that was really the case. So just the opportunity to come into a company that was very focused on hardware and access and pivoting towards software and how you market that is so different, how you sell it is so different, and really starting to understand the voice of the customer and leading with that story versus speeds and feeds. Was it hard for you making the transition to, well, a similar role, different industry? What was the learning process like for you going from maybe something not so tech oriented, moving into tech and then being charged with having to determine the voice of the customer and how to speak to somebody differently? Was there a big learning curve there for you? With my new job here? Yeah. So actually it is the same industry. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so. I thought you said you moved into tech. Okay. Oh, yeah. no, I moved into tech back in, gosh, it was 2011. So oh that gosh. was a different. Oh, I want to hear about that. Right. Because it's like, especially in 2011, it was like you, you mentioned in there that like there was this switch, like where yes. I suddenly moved into tech and then you yes. had to learn all that. So that moment, let's go back a decade. Let's go back. Let's go back. So yeah, it was really interesting because I had an opportunity to work for some great B2C brands early on in my career, especially in the ad agency and interactive company. So it was very relatable. It was very easy because I generally was the customer. So I always like am envious of people who get to market to marketers. I'm like, I think that's so fantastic <laughs> and so amazing. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so when you're marketing to a tech buyer or even more complicated than that, an engineering mindset, it definitely takes a team to help you build that story. And so making that change at Avicent was very difficult for me, but I always have come in to all of these opportunities with a mindset of, I'll be the marketing expert. And I lean on my PLM teams, my heads of sales to be the tech. You, know, you tell me the story, I'll put a bow on it, get it out to the world and, and hopefully it will help us all win together. 
but you really just need to ask questions and not be afraid to admit that you don't know. So actually when I went into the interview at this job here, I said, look, listen, I am not a technology expert, but I know marketing. I've been doing it for 20 years and that part of it and, and acknowledging your, your weaknesses and, and building out your resources around the organization that can help you and help the team grow and be successful together. I think that is where I found, even though I don't exactly still to this day, you know, probably have absorbed more than I realized, but you know, I didn't know what NG Pontu was or, or the difference <laughs> between fiber access and mobile backhaul. It gets very, very technical. So again, I come back to the fundamentals of we are selling to people. You know, I say people are in campaigns, not companies. And you really need to understand their motivators and how to communicate with them. And again, I think that applies to marketing regardless of the industry. Yeah. I mean, you just said some words that I've never heard put together in a sentence before. So I certainly <laughs> don't know a lot of that. I was like, yeah, whatever you say. Yeah. <laughs> so what I love about what you said is I think you're actually honing in on something that is kind of the bulk of even our topic today, which is like, you seem to breed a very, very humble culture of wanting to always learn, wanting to up-level and not being afraid, especially in a role like marketing where you like people expect that you have to know what to do. You have to be the one that is leading the forefront, right? Like you are ahead of the trends, being able to acknowledge what you know and what you don't know and having the company and your peers accept that and embrace it and help you up level. That's a culture thing. And what we want to talk about today is just this idea of how as a professional, especially an executive, you navigate communication and how you navigate culture. And so do you sort of see the way that you approach your job as being like a little bit of the culture of the company kind of allowing you to exist freely in that way? Yeah, I think that's really important when making a choice to either change jobs, whether it be internally within an organization or to switch organizations entirely is do you fit within the culture? Not everyone always fits within the culture, but being open and understanding that you may have to adapt your personality or your communication style to fit within the culture. And what I've seen is when someone has to adjust from their natural to adaptive state too greatly outside of what they're passionate about and who they are in their authentic self, the harder it is for them to feel comfortable, the harder it is to vocalize their opinions and feel heard. And it's also easier for them to burn out because they have to exude so much energy to try to adapt and so I find if you can go to a culture where your innate characteristics are embraced and celebrated, and again, it doesn't have to be a different company. It could just be a different part of the organization. Yeah. Extroverts tend to do really well in sales. I loved being part of sales for a while, and it was just really fun to be around people who loved to, to be out and be social and brainstorm together and whiteboard together. You know, and then you go into areas like engineering that may be more heads down and process oriented and they aren't as comfortable with ad hoc conversations. They want to plan out their thoughts and head into a meeting with feeling composed and prepared. And so when you find that area within the organization where you can be either around people who communicate similarly or complementary to you, I think that's where you find success and happiness. This idea of like finding these pockets where you can be authentic and kind of identifying that, I, one, could not agree more with that. And do you ever feel like in your experience, it's difficult to truly embrace 
your own authenticity because I know I personally have either seen cultures or worked within cultures where they say, we want you to be an individual. We want you to be super authentic. And what I realized is you can exist in this area of authenticity as long as it fits in a certain box. And if you're outside of that box, we're not going to say it, but your authenticity really isn't welcome. (laughs) It's like, be you in here, be you, but like this. And so do you feel like it's actually hard for people to really feel like they can be authentic and who they are and still be viewed as a professional? Yes, I do. And I think thankfully that most organizations are becoming more accepting and more aware. And I think within the last year or so of most of us being remote, you are now starting to see more of people's lives in their home and you get to know people on a more personal level. And I think investing in someone's background and who they are as a person helps you understand their motivators, how to communicate. And that just naturally, hopefully develops a feeling of acceptance of who you are. And within my teams in particular, I always tried very, very hard to be very open to the point where I preface the meetings. I'm like, y'all, I probably shouldn't say this, but I really want you to be aware of what's happening or I've had anxiety attacks and panic attacks in front of my team members. And that was a very difficult thing for me early on was trying to hide that. And I realized I am a very passionate person. I love what I do. And I love being able to not have to stifle that. And so sometimes I can go off on a very passionate rant. Other times I can get very emotional and I'll start to tear up because I'm a high empath. So I feel and absorb emotions of people and What I always wanted was my team was for them to be as open with me, as comfortable as I was with them, which came over time. It certainly didn't happen initially and very early in my career, very, very early. I was at an internship and I was pulled to the side and they said, in the South, (laughs) we can get into cultures geographically as well. (laughs) Break it down, right? (laughs) Yeah, we're looking to get deep here. You know, and this is again, very, I don't, I don't know if I graduated yet. And yeah, they said, you really shouldn't say things like that in a meeting. You kind of wait to be spoken to. It was almost like a a parent and a child teaching Southern manners. I'm like, excuse me. (laughs) It was a valid point. I don't think I stepped out of line. And that's when I realized not only do you have corporate cultures, but you also have kind of regional cultures. I've worked everywhere from Atlanta to San Francisco, to New York, to Green Bay, to Huntsville, Alabama, now Plano, Texas. And within corporate cultures, you also have some other geographic cultures or mannerisms or habits or perceptions. And being a pretty outspoken woman, generally previously, sometimes often the youngest person in the room, having to always find your voice and having that confidence to say what you felt or say what you thought and add value to the conversation was a challenge. And so as I became a little bit more comfortable with who I was and my abilities, that became easier. And so coaching, especially young professionals on finding that voice earlier, I think on some of your podcasts, you say, you know, what would be some advice you'd give your younger self? Yeah, It's to find that voice early and build that confidence in your abilities. And so many people doubt their own abilities. And and I just want to be everyone's like personal cheerleader and hype girl. It's like, you're yeah. awesome at this. You need to own this. Don't be afraid. What's the worst thing that you can happen? They can disagree with you. 
So, so many people manage out of fear and failure. And I think if you can have a culture that embraces learning from perceived fear or failure, Mm. that can help with that authenticity. So people are no longer afraid to speak up. They're no longer afraid to be themselves or use their voice. So that was a lot. (laughs) But it was beautiful. Like the idea that as an organization, especially in the Texas landscape, the idea that don't be afraid of failure, like fail forward, right? It's this idea of we're not afraid to make a mistake because we're going to learn from it and we're going to get stronger. So I love the concept of that. And one thing that you touched on that really resonated with me is when you were talking just a little bit about effectiveness and emotion and fitting in, I find often that it's a moving target, especially for women or BIPOC or even folks in the LGBTQ plus community where it's a moving target in terms of what's effective because what's effective for somebody else may not be effective for us. And I remember back early on in my career, I was a brand new leader and there's always this theme that we get as women where when we show any level of emotion or passion, no matter how warranted, we're either told we're too emotional or we're told to calm down. Like I (laughs) have probably been told nearly every time that I'm passionate about a subject, like calm down with a smiley face or let's all take a breath. And it's this moment of before we address the topic, When there is a woman who's expressing this emotion, there's always, hey, 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 everybody, let's calm down. Yet I've been in plenty of rooms with men having full-blown temper tantrums, but that's seen as effective, right? They're being passionate. They're being authoritarian. They're really knowing how to drive a result. And I never see anybody in the room going, all right, you know what? Let's just all calm down for a minute. And yet, I mean, when I say nearly every time, I mean nearly every time. There was one meeting like I was saying early on in my career. And I remember we were talking about a change and I believe this change was around comp plans for individual contributors, which you and I both know those things change like constantly. And it's very, very emotional, right? And this idea of change management, it was not a good change. And all of us leaders were in the room and we were all talking about it. And there were a lot of men in that room who were having what I would describe as temper tantrums and standing up and huffing and puffing and crossing their arms. And I was expressing my opinion as well in a very similar, although somewhat muted way, because I was aware of like, okay, if I get up and I start acting like this, people are going to be like, oh, look at her flying off the handle. After the meeting, my VP pulled me aside and was like, I really want to give you some feedback about your behavior in that meeting and phrased it like that, your behavior in that meeting. And I said, oh my God, what did I do? He said, well, you just, you've got to be careful being so emotional in meetings. And I remember just staring at him and being like, what? Like of everything that I said, all of the great points that I made, like all the feedback that you're giving me is that I came across too emotional. And yet I saw others get things done and that was viewed as effective. So like that moving target of what's effective, how do we figure that out as women? How do we know what's effective? That is the million dollar question, right? And I think if we could figure that out and put it in a book or in a bottle and sell it, we'd be set for life. Right, right. And it does change and it is a moving target and it is different, not only within different types of companies, but even within different meetings or different team contexts. So what I found was particularly helpful early in my career was to find people who I perceived as being effective. Mm -hmm. and then try to model and emulate some of that behavior. 
And that. when you change, you have to change how you present, you have to self-reflect. And so having awareness of what you need to change. One of my very first conversations I had with, with one of my managers at the time, again, pretty early in my career was very frank. And she said to me, similarly, you kind of need to calm down. And her perception is reality. And I don't know that I agree with yes. that. I don't know that I agree with perception is reality because I think right. there's more to everyone than meets the eye. You don't know everyone's story. You don't know everyone's background. You don't know that their kid had a bad day or their dog's sick. But again, I think that's where the openness and not being afraid to share part of who you are as a person helps a team communicate better. Yeah. I'm a high D on the disc scale, the disc analysis. Me too. Yeah, big D here. Like, I think I got a hundred on one of my, uh, I didn't even know that that was like possible. Your only D. <laughs> yeah, like all D. No, actually high D, high I, then I kind of go down with the S and then I come back up on C. So I call that a ski jump. And it's easier to talk to other high I's or other high D's because we're decisive, we're ready to make decisions, we're ready to move forward with things. But what I find with that high D is, again, being very open, being transparent, can sometimes come across as there's negative connotations to all of the different personality styles and types. So having that awareness helped me reflect a little bit on what I could do to tone down the D a little bit. And it wasn't necessarily that I had to tone down the D, I just had to figure out ways to really, I don't even know how to say it. I just had to figure out ways to adapt without yeah. being disingenuous. And I think that's the biggest thing. I have a really hard time when it comes across as disingenuous. And so having that authentic approach and being self-aware. So self-awareness comes from either people giving you feedback or finding it yourselves. So I love when we record meetings because I can go back and replay and see wow. how maybe something came across. I found video helps a lot because you can see expressions. I have a very Northern voice and tone. And so <laughs> again, sometimes that directness isn't perceived. You don't see that I'm smiling and laughing and we're trying to talk through it. But when a D is on a mission, they're not gonna wanna have the small talk at the beginning of a meeting. And so you have to find ways to carve out that time with your team, with your peers, with your counterparts, with external agencies to build a rapport Otherwise, it's very difficult to understand the intent and again, the effectiveness. So kind of back to what makes it effective, it changes, it does, it changes yeah. situationally. And again, I find modeling other behavior that you seem being successful, but also having the awareness to self-reflect and having either mentors or kind of advocates or confidants who can pull you aside and say, you know what? Hey, in that last call, you might have come across a little bit different than you intended, yes. right? And having and building that, that takes time. You know, I had some wonderful, wonderful confidants at my last job and it was fantastic. And we would sit there with each other. I'm also a big after the call, like have a call to talk about the call. Like <laughs> the debrief. We have to debrief. Yeah, yeah. Like I like to debrief yeah. off of everything yeah. because that's how I process. And so that and having those confidants and people that you can debrief with openly and really learning how to not only give, but more importantly, receive feedback only helps you with your awareness. So I, I think that that's something that we, I wish that we could teach more people uh, or train on 
at either early careers or even just bringing people into the culture at a new company is kind of how can you effectively give and receive feedback? And I go back to art school. One of the very first classes that they give you it was materials, tools, and comping techniques, but there's also a critique class. And in the Ooh. critique class, they were very, there was a formula to it and it became very constructive. And I felt like everybody should take this critique class because it really helped you understand. And I know you have a theater background. So again, it's like yeah. giving notes on a performer. It, it's so their people are so passionate about what they do and it's finding ways to say this is good but you never want to hear the but right so that's a challenge but that all of that together i think helps create an environment and a place where you can pick up on all the sensors around you have to adjust but i think that's the biggest thing i've realized is you do have to adapt and yeah. you have to be open to adapting. And that's when I see people not working out. It's when they refuse to adapt. And culturally, they, people say culturally, they're not a fit. Right. And sometimes that's okay. Sometimes that's okay. And acknowledging that I think right now we all have an opportunity to really, and people are evaluating, am I having to adjust my natural state and adapt so much to be successful at my job that that's what's wearing me out? And so to be able to have a place where you can be more authentic is what I think we're all kind of hoping for now. Well, I think you're honing in on the fact that authenticity does lead to effectiveness. And I just have to say, I am fangirling that you brought up DISC. Like, it's one of my favorite, I call it professional behavioral personality assessments, right? There's a lot of them. Personally at Sales Assembly, one of the things that I train leadership on is this principles and how to apply that to getting to know each other and connecting with your people and understanding communication. And one thing that's interesting about you and me coming from a decade of studying this, I'm such a geek about it. You and I are both high Ds, secondarily high I's. I'm a higher S than a higher C. So we make up for each other there where I wish I had more C. I just like, I need it. I'm all wind and no, you know, nothing else. But what I love about it is you're a very, very self-aware high D, which if you know anything about DISC, which it sounds like you do, that's actually kind of rare because one of the one of the pitfalls, right? Like every style has their pitfall. One of the pitfalls of a high D is like, yes, they know how to drive. They know how to move quickly. They can think on their feet. They're usually right because they make sure that they're right. But one of their pitfalls is a lack of self-awareness and a lack of awareness of how they are perceived and how their intent is perceived and a lack of awareness around how they connect to other people. Like high Ds are not always aware of how they come across. And so when they turn people off or they come across as forceful, they're often confused by that. And they're like, why? I didn't, because they don't usually have a bad intention, but their red right. is having a bad intention. Right. I'm yeah. fascinated at your level of self-awareness as such a high D that you're so aware of making sure that you're not that. Is that just you or did you train into that? I trained into that 100%. Yeah. 100%. It's not natural. It's amazing. Yeah. It's not natural and it's hard and it's yeah. hard. Now, I think one thing that does complement, which is sometimes I think also, so there's, you know, the disc and then there's the motivators. And so the motivators have another play into the disc part of it. And yes, I'm very, very passionate about this. I think it's a wonderful barometer when you're starting off with a new team, whether it be a new organization or project-based team to kind of get that common ground to understand where people are at naturally. 
and just help you to be more effective. But no, it was very much trained. And I worked with a wonderful external coach. I called her my work therapist, <laughs> Joanne Meyer. <laughs> and Joanne she was Meyer. <laughs> so she was fantastic. And really being able to say, listen, if you have this goal in mind, you need to be aware not only of technically at your job, you're very adept at such, but it's those soft skills. It's that EQ. It's those things that you need to sometimes really train on. And again, it came with time. It came with resistance. You know, I even said, <laughs> this is a little embarrassing one time in a minute. Like, but why do I have to be the one to change? Why can't they change their behavior? Right. And I, I look at it like a marriage. You know, my husband and I have been together for almost 20 years. And it comes with compromise. And I think people need to realize the work environment has that as well. And no one wants to compromise who they are personally or professionally. But sometimes you do need to find those compromises. And for me, it was changing how I presented, bringing more people in on things earlier on. I like to kind of get things to almost fully baked and then say, what do y'all think? Versus kind of group consensus or group think and that can sometimes slow it down. And as a D, I just want to move on right. and go on to the next. So that part of it is definitely come over with time and coaching and very, very wonderful leadership who I think as soon as they realized that I was open to the feedback, they gave me very candid feedback. And I really tried to work with my teams to have that same level and building out that open communication without feeling threatened. It's just so hard to take personal feedback and to not take it personally. So yeah, I'm with you. when you're talking about how you present and how you talk, it's hard to not take it personally and get wow. upset. <laughs> well, you're honing in on this idea of identity versus role-based feedback, which is big, which is also, I mean, I've thought back to every bit of feedback that I've gotten that was really effective and feedback that I've gotten that was really ineffective and tried to break down. Was it my high D kicking in. Cause you know, we high D's, we don't like feed. Like we say, like, I love feedback, but we really don't want your feedback. And then we're like, I want to work together, but we really don't want to work together. But like, right. we know we have to say that. And so yeah. to your point, it's learning your communication style and then learning where your communication style might actually be hindering you and learning, like, how do I get myself more well-rounded? That's what you're honing in on. Yeah. But as a high D, we, we don't like that level of feedback. And we don't like that introspection. And when I think back to the feedback, again, that is rubbing me the right way or the wrong way, in some instances, it was the right feedback, I just wasn't ready to hear it. Right. But in most instances, it was also the fact the person giving me the feedback was accidentally hitting me really hard with identity based feedback, instead of role. So to your point, instead of saying to me, the way that you communicate was really ineffective in that meeting. Yeah, I'm going to take that personally, I can't change my behavioral style, my thinking style. But if instead you talk about it role-based, which is in a meeting like that, for somebody in your seat, you have to be able to communicate in a way that others can hear. And mm -hmm. in that meeting, I don't think everybody heard your message. Let's talk about why, right? Yeah. So I'm not saying you at all in that. I'm talking about like, you play this role and here's how you can be effective. And I also think like people need to learn how to give proper feedback. Like they need yeah. to learn how to do that part too. I think that that's thankfully more and more organizations are finding the value and bringing in outside experts to help objectively do that. Like I said, Joanne was outside of the organization, but she worked with everyone within our team. So yeah. she was able to get confidential feedback from them, repackage it in a positive oh, way. Yeah. 
but you have to be open to it. And I think that's the biggest thing, regardless of where you're at in your career, always be open and realize sometimes it might hurt, <laughs> but there's a kernel of truth. And there are probably some things that you can do relatively easily to adapt to those situations. And just having that awareness when you're going into presenting to executives versus having team meetings versus leading a project, those are all different situations. And knowing how to still be your authentic and effective self in each of those, but realizing you are gonna have to change, even if it's just a little bit, I think that's an important skill set, and it, it, it can come with coaching, with practice, self-reflection, all of that can help contribute to eventually finding your voice and being able and not being afraid to, to speak up. It's fascinating to me. When I say I've thoroughly enjoyed it, it's an understatement to hear somebody with such an extensive background in marketing talking about a subject like this that hits everybody. But I love that your take is around authenticity and evolution and listening and critical feedback and a humble approach because every great marketer in the world approaches their job that way and listening to your feedback and how you sort of how you think and how that comes across in building a company culture like it makes me think that a lot of sales leaders and revenue teams aren't leveraging the people management and company culture management expertise of the other lines of business in their organization and if anything if you're listening to this let this be a note that like you should be talking to the executive leaders and other lines of business about just overall people and company management because i think your take on this is pretty remarkable and helpful and it's been wonderful to listen well thank you <laughs> now it's something like i said i'm very passionate about and have really seen it have very positive effects on the teams that embrace it understand it are open to changing either how they communicate or how they're working together. Again, I think the more we can understand who we're working with, the better we can work together. And also who we market to and we can sell better. And you know, there's, it all really, it, it's not just about teams or person, it's about the customer, it's about the company, it's about the culture, it's all so interrelated. But at the end of the day, it is just around effective communication. Ugh, effective communication. <laughs> effective, authentic communication yep. from a world-class marketer. Like, what an amazing package. And speaking of just you and who you are and how you think, we are at the segment of the episode where we are going to dive into our rapid reveal. The, right. the rapid reveal, as listeners know, we have five questions. You have 60 seconds or less to answer each. Some of them may get a little bit personal. Are you on board? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, number one, I'm gonna give you a little bit of a softball here. Who's been your longest role model? Without question, it's my parents. And so they are just some of the most fantastic people. And when I first meet somebody or start working, it's clear family is very important to me and I think has formed a lot of who I am, both personally and professionally. My dad was a self-admitted workaholic. I don't even think he's officially retired and he's well into his seventies now, but he was a sales engineer. And my mom in her early years was a florist. And so you got that right brain, left brain. She has the most amazing color memory of anyone I've ever met. And so I was able to see and thankfully get some of their strengths. And it also was my dad really pushing me to do well academically and my mom embracing my creativity and all of that together really helped form me who I am. And for those, that's my parents are still, they're just some amazing people. 
I love the incredible balance of your parents and like, this is why I love this section of it. Because as you start to talk about it, I'm like, okay, bits of you are making more sense in a wonderful way. So, oh, beautiful. All right. Number two, and I ask this to everybody because it fascinates me, <laughs> but what's an irrational fear of yours or just a fear? What's something you're really scared of? <laughs> oh, I have an irrational fear of missing my flights, of travel. I have travel anxiety. And again, oh I will also contribute this to my mother who for 30 plus years worked for Delta Airlines. And so we traveled a lot. My dad was a global sales engineer. I think he was a million miler on like two or three airlines. So I was what I call a points baby. And I was just... <laughs> Great. I'm sorry. Keep going. I'll try to get someone... <laughs> No, no. I was a points baby. I was a like, points baby. Not a baby. trash fun baby, a points baby. I a love it. A points baby. Yeah. Okay. But my mom was always afraid of, of us being late or missing a flight or getting to the airport and being hurried. So I, to this day, still have this fear of missing my flight. And so I don't think I've ever really, really missed a flight. I did have a situation last week where I kind of missed a flight, but it hadn't left yet, but the guy wouldn't let me check my bag. It was, but yes, my fear of travel anxiety. And again, unfortunately, I think it's genetic and I have now passed it on to my daughter oh, who man. hates to be late for anything. <laughs> I mean, I honestly think that's a good quality though. Like it's not like, horrible. Not to the point of like severe anxiety because like I mean, right. look, your worst fear kind of came true. How do you feel about it now? Like you sort well, of missed a flight. And thankfully there's seven <laughs> flights a day between Huntsville and Dallas. And I just had to wait another hour and get on the next one. It's not a huge deal. Yeah. Our worst fears are mostly never that bad, but sometimes they are. So you never know. And that's why they're right. irrational. <laughs> All right. Number three, what is the most unique thing about you? Well, I typically would think it's probably just the combination of left brain, right brain, you know, art and yeah. science, mom and dad just how I, I think have been formed through my worldview and the experiences that I was just so fortunate to have growing up as a child and traveling, the right kind of pressure that they put on me to be successful, but also a lot of that was self-induced. So I don't know that that's unique, but it is just a perspective that I've gained over time and I, I'm appreciative of that. I think what's unique is how you've used it to form not only who you are, but to also impact other people in a really meaningful way. I think that's pretty unique. It's also awesome. <laughs> Thanks. So on the flip side, number four, what was your last mistake? It happened this morning. <gasps> no. It did. And so part of a, of a new job is learning new tools. And yeah. I'm working with a different marketing automation platform than I have previously. And um, we decided to do some A-B testing on a webinar email that we're sending out. And so I decided to A-B test on the from. And so the from that we were using is the typical DZS marketing email address. And then the other was the speaker of the webinar. Well, I kind of forgot to tell him that I was sending it from him. And even though I said it in the system that the reply to would go to the marketing, apparently auto replies don't follow that logic only if someone actually clicks reply. Again, having never used the system before, never done A-B testing. Would you know? so How would you know? Poor Miguel got like 800 out of office replies <laughs> this morning when he woke up. <laughs> so that was my, my biggest mistake was not testing before and also not letting him know that I had used his email address in the A-B test. 
like poor Miguel is collateral damage on that yeah. one. I've been in the room and part of the team that pushed the button on a similar mistake that sent that level of emails to everyone, right? every customer. So like 5,000 people are like, I oh. just got 800 emails from you. And we're like, oh. yeah, yeah, it's, it happens. And I would say that's generally in coaching some of my team over the years too. I always tell the stories of my mistakes and usually they all have to do with email sends. I don't know yeah. what it is. Everything else can pretty much be undone. But once you hit send on that email, you can't get those back. <laughs> I won't even touch Google Calendar anymore. Everyone in my company knows that when we're like, oh, yeah, we got to update those invites. I was like, I'm not touching it. I am not <laughs> touching it. I'm not going there. Call it my cowardice, but I just won't do it. All right. And our last one, number five, what is the happiest moment that you can remember? Oh, this is probably another softball one. It, it probably had to be the birth of my daughter. It was just one of those things that was unexpected and just really was one of those days. It was just like, I did this. We made a person. And then really, she's 18 now, is a freshman in college. And so seeing the person she's become, I've had other happy, very proud moments and so I get really emotional and I get very, they'll laugh at me because I'll like tear up like when she would be doing her theater performances or their cheer competitions. And I'm just so happy to see these kids successful in doing what they love that I'll be like sitting in the stands crying. So it, they're happy tears and they're proud tears. And I would say a lot of my happiness is from my family and from my daughter. And just that's one of the things that makes me happy is spending time with my people. I love that. And I can imagine that a lot of people listening to this will want to know you and, and maybe be part of your people. And so where do we find you after this episode? If folks want to connect with you, where can they find you, Jenny? Yeah, find me on LinkedIn, just Jenny with an I. That's another funny story. Jenny with an I, Detman. And I, I think it might be under my maiden name too, Jenny Pissport Detman. But LinkedIn's great. I love to connect. I love to make conference friends. So when Ooh. conferences and events start to happen, you know, if you're going to be at the Marketo User Conference or Domo Palooza or any of those, I love to find a network with people at conferences. And I've really built a tremendous network of marketers and sales leaders through those types of things. So let's, let's get in on LinkedIn. I actually have like a startup idea for find a friend, like using your LinkedIn connections at airports. And that's a whole nother probably podcast. So, okay. but anyway... <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to. Let's connect on LinkedIn, please. And I don't love Twitter. It. I don't. I'm a marketer who doesn't I can't Twitter. Do yeah, I can't tweet. I can't tweet either. I'm bad. I tried for a little while and I was like, I can't do it. I can't do that. I can't tweet. I can't do TikTok. Oh, I love to watch the TikToks. I have not yeah. done the, the TikTok, but I do enjoy <laughs> it. But yes. Yeah. I want so badly to be that creative <laughs> in that way. But hey, well, Jenny, it's been wonderful having you on Thank Taking you. the Lead. Thank you so much for being here. And listeners, we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. This episode was brought to you by Sales Assembly. For more information about membership or our free 60-day trial, visit us at salesassembly.com. And if you like what you just heard, please subscribe to Taking the Lead on Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please leave us a review. It really helps people find the show. Thanks for listening.